very excited today to begin a brand new series, 30 Sayings of the Wise, that come right from Proverbs. In fact, in our Bibles, the, the editions that we have now tell us 30 Sayings of the Wise. So over the next few weeks, we are going over these sayings, and our hope is this, that not only do we hear them, not only do we see them, but we take them and apply them to our lives. God himself thought it was important enough to put these principles in the book of Proverbs and for us to apply them and to use them in our lives. I have spent the large part of my life, very, very intentionally the last three years of my life, reading a proverb every single day, a chapter in Proverbs. I've spent time and time and time and time again in Proverbs because they're principles that I not only want to know, but I want to apply. And I've found myself on hundreds, thousands of occasions recalling Scripture, coming back, facing something and saying, this is what the Word of God says to do in this situation. I also believe that we should be people who ask for wisdom. If you've ever come to me, and many have, and asked, how can I pray for you? Generally, probably more, 90% of the time, my response back to you is, please, pray for wisdom for me. Wisdom, and the lack of it, I would say, is devastating. It's the kind of deficit a person or nation can face, for wisdom has the answers, the solutions, and the principles that are needed to reverse any situation that you and I will face in this world. A person is at great disadvantage when he or she is void of wisdom on how to pay bills, how to conquer debt, how to reverse a decline in their business, how to resolve challenges in relationships with their children or friends, how to resolve a relationship struggle with a spouse or a boss or a coworker, or even how to make key decisions that will affect your future. If you don't operate from wisdom, you could find yourselves literally in this web, I would call, of being ensnared. Almost this picture of chaos, wondering how you can get out of this. Wisdom allows you to walk into life situations and to cut your way out and to stay on top and not get cluttered with poor decision making. And in many cases, if we don't operate in biblical wisdom, it will paralyze us. The lack of wisdom leaves us ensnared trapped by our poor and foolish decision-making, and it will paralyze us. Proverbs 8.11 says it this way, For wisdom is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Wisdom is more precious than rubies. One proverb says it's even more valuable than gold or silver. If that is the case, and God has given us a book of 31 chapters of Proverbs, then we need to take time and look at what his inspired word says. And then we not only need to look at it, but we need to begin to ask God, give us this wisdom. I would say a lack of wisdom is something like this. I like to run and, and jog. And, and I would primarily, I love jogging on trails. There's something about it when I go into turns, not knowing what's next. And it's just not this mundane circle or running the same lap. And so I'd like the adventure that comes seeing nature and seeing um, creation at up close. It allows me to get close to God. And I, I'm distraction free when I'm running in, on trails. And there's one place that I generally love to run. It's on the Benton Trailways. And if I'm not careful and I don't apply wisdom, I'll find myself dealing with this. There's a certain portion of this 
trail that I run on that is full of spider webs. It doesn't matter if it's one day or the next day. It's, it's notorious for having spider webs. And it's a place where spiders like to come and they like to spin their web and to catch insects. But I remember one of the first times I ran this, this trail and I made a hard left and I was kind of just in this zone of talking to God and running along and I had my head down busting through this trail trying to stay on top and before I knew it, I found myself engulfed and snared by this spider web. When I say spider web, it completely covered my face, was the cross the front of my shirt, I was sweaty and it was stuck to me. It was in my hair and I found myself like literally pulling the pieces of this cobweb for the rest of the run out of me. Even when I got back to my vehicle, I looked and I saw even my mirror, there were pieces of this cobweb. It had ensnared me. It had engulfed me. But wisdom says, Jim, the next time you turn the corner, the next time you go on that part of that path, be alert, be aware that there's probably spider webs being spun. So you now you know what I do when I run? And if you've ever run behind me, you will see me running like this. My arms out in front and I'm busting down the cobwebs that I know will be there. Wisdom is not only knowledge, but wisdom is says, apply that knowledge so that you're not ensnared. You're not engulfed. And many of us find ourselves time and time and time again ensnared with the cobwebs of poor or foolish decision-making. My hope today is this, and my hope is this, that grace community, that those of us who are Christ followers find the passages in this nugget that's entrenched in Proverbs, literally the 30 sayings, they are so important that they've been given this title, 30 sayings of the wise. Grab your Bibles. We're about to go on an incredible journey over the next few weeks. Turn to Proverbs chapter 22, and we're going to read verses 17 to 27. And if you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Our ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. But turn to Proverbs chapter 22, and we're going to read verses 17 to 27. And take a look at the first four sayings of the wise. Stand with me and we'll read it together. Proverbs 22, verses 17 to 27. Let's read this out loud together. Ready, read. Pay attention and turn your ear to the sayings of the wise. Apply your heart to what I teach, for it is pleasing when you keep them in your heart and have them ready on your lips so that your trust may be in the Lord. I teach you today, even you, have I not written 30 sayings for you, sayings of counsel and knowledge, teaching you to be honest and to speak the truth, so that you bring back truthful reports to those you serve. Do not exploit the poor because they are poor, and do not crush the needy in court. For the Lord is and will exact life for life. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered. Or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. Do not be one who shakes hands and pledge or puts up security for debts. If you lack the means to pay, your very bed will be snatched from under you. You may have a seat. Solomon opens this up by reminding us, as he sets up these 30 sayings, he reminds us of this truth. Whatever controls your heart controls you. Now, listen to that truth. 
whatever controls your heart, whatever has control of your heart controls you. And so as we look at this passage, as we jump into these sayings, he's telling us, pay attention, turn your ear, listen, apply your heart to what I teach. Trust in God. Let God have control of your heart. Because whatever controls your heart controls you. Proverbs is loaded with passages reminding us that out of the overflow of our heart, our life speaks, our mouth speaks, our actions happen. So whatever's in your heart will come out. Whatever's got control of that moment of your heart will be literally the path that you choose to walk on. Then he says this as he sets us up. For this is pleasing when you keep it in your heart. These truths. So before we get these sayings, he's setting them up by saying, whatever controls your heart controls you. Let me just ask you, what does control your heart? Is your heart controlled by pleasing people? Is your heart controlled by wanting to look like you have it all together? Is your heart controlled by sin? Or is your heart controlled by the living God of the universe and you're listening to him, whether you turn to your right or your left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Right now, there is a battle for your heart. And whoever gets access to your heart, Solomon says, will become the rudder of your journey on the sea of life. We are called to guard our hearts. Why? Because whoever controls your heart and whatever controls your heart controls you. You and I must be vigilant in protecting our hearts and guarding our hearts. Let God's wisdom control your heart. And so Solomon opens this up. He's about to tell us, but he says, listen to me, unless this becomes part of you in your heart, it's got to move from your head, just knowledge to your heart. There's an 18 inch gap from your head to your heart. The heart is the center of all reasoning and decision-making, and we must be vigilant. So he says, turn your ear, apply your heart to what I teach. Keep these principles at the forefront of your heart so that your life doesn't come to a screeching halt ensnared by the cobwebs of foolishness or poor decision-making or you will become ensnared. Look what he says again in verse 20. Look how he says this in verse 20. He says, have I not written how many sayings? What's he say? 30 sayings for you, sayings of counsel and knowledge, teaching you to be honest and to speak truth so that you bring back truthful reports to those you serve. You've heard me say this probably a thousand times and more. I love you too much to not tell you the truth. Truth comes from God. And there's no reason that you should ever hold back from telling the truth because truth sets you free. James sets it up in the New Testament and reminds us. I want you to look at James chapter 1 before we dig into these three or 30 sayings. Look at James chapter 1. Look at verse 5 and 6 of James chapter 1. He reminds us of this whole wisdom principle too. Look at James chapter 1 in the New Testament, verses 5 and 6. James says this, If any of you, grace community, if any of you, Christ followers, lacks what? What's the word? Wisdom. You should ask who? God. Who gives, how does he give it? Generously to all 
without finding fault, and it will be given to who? You. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of sea blown and tossed by the wind. I love what he says here. He gives generously to all who ask without finding fault or reproach. In other words, he's saying this. You can never ask for it enough. He doesn't say, are you back at it again and asking for wisdom? No, he says, I want you to ask. You've heard me say this, and I say, have said this facetiously, but I believe it. I believe that God has this incredible bowl of wisdom. And it says he gives generously, that he wants to dole it out. He keeps reaching down and throwing it. And if you're not going to ask for wisdom, I'm going to ask for yours. Because wisdom really controls our heart. It allows us to make decisions in very timely manner when, when there's difficult relationship issues, difficult marriage issues, difficult child rearing issues, difficult financial issues. It's that person when they walk into this almost, this, this almost crossroads of uncertainty walks in and you've seen it and I've witnessed it where when they speak, it's like, why didn't I think that? You see, on our own, we would never be able to process wisdom. Wisdom, God's wisdom, comes only from him. So we ask him for it, and he gives it generously. Let me ask you a a, a basic, basic, basic question. When's the last time you asked God for wisdom? And let me follow up with this question. Why don't you ask him regularly? 10, 20, 30 times a day. Asking God for wisdom should be right at the top of your journal of prayer Every time you go to God, every single time you go to God, it's right at the top. You, if you've ever talked to me and many of you heard, and, and so you say, hey, hey, Pastor Jim, how can I pray for you? I'll say, pray for wisdom for me that God will generously give to me. Why? Because wisdom, God's wisdom can control my heart. And when God's wisdom controls my heart, it lines up with his heart. So if we, we lack, we're supposed to ask. It shows us that we can have it. It's not like it's a mysterious thing, like, hope I can find it. Where's it at? Let me go find it. No, God says, ask, I'll give it to you. And if you're making foolish decisions, let's back it up. Let's be logical about this. Let's, let's not, it's not rocket science. If you make unwise decisions, primarily it's because you haven't asked God for wisdom. It's not that difficult. God longs to give it and for us to ask for it. And it's the deal breaker in our lives as we walk in this journey. There's a huge difference in wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge speaks, but wisdom listens. That's a huge difference there. Knowledge speaks. You know, I know many people who are very intelligent. They could tell me the facts and figures about things that my mind has not even conceived or thought of. They can tell me statistics and their field of study. And I hear it sometimes I say, wow. That person is full of knowledge. Scripture also tells us that knowledge can puff up too. But wisdom, it listens. Knowledge speaks. Or I would say it this way. Here's a little phrase that I often repeat back to people. Those who listen for nothing will fall for anything. Wisdom listens. Those who listen for nothing will fall for anything. Wisdom listens. Wisdom looks at a situation, asks God for it to give wisdom, and all of a sudden it sees it, applies it, and puts it into action. I know lots of educated people who lack wisdom. 
I know the times that I've lacked wisdom and just made an educated decision. The dictionary defines wisdom as the ability to discern or judge what is true, right, or lasting. Knowledge, on the other hand, is information gained through experience, reasoning, or acquaintance. Knowledge can exist without wisdom, but not the other way around. One can be knowledgeable without being wise. Knowledge is knowing how to use a gun. Wisdom is knowing when to use it and when to keep it holstered. Wisdom is, when should I use it? When should I keep it holstered? Wisdom is applying knowledge and knowing what God wants. So these 30 sayings that we're about to go through can radically change your life. And if you didn't hear anything else from me today, if the only thing you began doing is asking God for wisdom, let me tell you, your life will dramatically change because that is what God longs to give to you. Because whoever controls your heart controls your life. Let me give you an example of lack of wisdom and an ownership issue of the heart. A girl is dating an unsaved guy. And so she begins to fall in love with him. She begins to find herself attracted to him. And then she begins to ponder, should I marry this guy? He's an unbeliever. And so what does she do? You ever found someone that believes in dating evangelism, which is totally unbiblical by any stretch of the imagination? You can't find anywhere in Scripture where we're supposed to be unequally yoked with someone. So the girl comes to me and asks this question or says to me, Pastor Jim, I prayed to God to give me peace about this relationship. And so when I prayed, Pastor Jim, he gave me peace about this relationship He let me know, the Spirit let me know that there will be a day that he'll get saved so it's okay for me to process and get married. You know what my response to that girl is? No, you just sinned. Because God would never renege on his word. And God would never give you peace about scripture that says that you should be unequally yoked. That didn't come from God, that came from Satan. And so part of that is when you begin to unpack wisdom and when you begin to control your heart, you don't go to God and ask him to give you something that's anti-biblical. But we do it all the time. Lord, give me peace about this. Oh, Lord, give me, oh, Lord. And we pray for peace. And you're just waiting for peace. And you come back, oh, I felt peace. You didn't feel peace. You had pizza last night. That's what it was. But wisdom speaks truth. You see, you have no fear of speaking truth when you know it lines up with God's word. We're not here to please people. We're here to serve and please our God. Many people today are trapped and ensnared by the lives of someone else who has control of their heart. And in that case, it was this man who had control of this woman's heart. So much that she didn't realize that she's praying to God, Lord, I know he's unsaved. Lord, he's so nice, though, and he's he's such a moral person, God. And I know there'll be a day that he'll get saved. I know there will, God. He's just not there yet. So, Lord, would you give me peace about this? Listen to me. That is sin. To ever ask God to do something and give you an answer that is against his word. How does someone get there? Foolishness. Someone else has control of their heart. God doesn't have control of their heart. Many are unwise because of pride. 
pride that says, I can't be wrong. I will not admit I am wrong. Even if everyone else in the room sees it differently than they do. Have you ever been in a room with someone where pride is so big? Pride is so evident. Every single one else in that room sees it, but that person doesn't see it. Pride will strip you of wisdom. I would say it this way. Truth is hard to swallow when you're choking on your pride. I know tons of scenarios that come to mind. I can think of situations in my life where pride wanted to surface its ugly head. And if I would have played it out, it would have been an unwise decision. How many times do you make decisions because you want to be right? Pride will destroy wisdom. Truth is hard to swallow when you're choking on your pride. Right now, many people who call themselves Christ followers will make unwise decisions because pride will keep you from admitting that this decision is not the best one for you. Now the 30 sayings. Let's take a look at them. Look at verse, look at verse 22. Look at verse 22 and 23. Let's take a look at some of these sayings. Verse 22 says, do not exploit the poor because they are poor and do not crush the needy in court. For the Lord will take up their case and will exact life for what? You know what that means? Here's what, here, let's summarize this passage. God will justly take from you what you have unjustly taken from the poor. God will justly take from you what you have unjustly taken from the poor. We are to respect the dignity of the poor and the vulnerable. This plays out in many facets of our lives, not only in the exploitation, but how we approach and recognize them. You know, exploitation can often come by our perception of someone. Let me just ask you a question. How often when you see someone in your mind that classifies themselves as poor, how often when you see someone maybe begging for money or begging for food, the thought that comes to your mind will determine whether or not you are exploiting that person. That first thought that comes into your mind, whether you grab it and take it captive and replace it with truth, will determine whether or not you are exploiting that person, not only physically, but mentally. How often do you exploit your neighbors? How often do you exploit your coworkers? How often do you exploit someone who lives next to you based upon what you see? and not what you know to be true. When you look for friendships, are you only going after friendships that will benefit you? Listen to me, if you do that, you are exploiting the poor. Are you looking at benefits? Like, I'm, gonna, I'm only gonna hang out with them because they can do this for me. They can mentor me. I can learn from them. How often do you make decisions with your life? Well, I'm not going to go there because they have nothing to teach me and all I'm going to be doing is teaching them. Listen, there are many ways to exploit the poor and underprivileged in our world. The way you determine your friendships could be exploitation of the poor and the vulnerable. Is your motive pure when you hang with people that are poor? I have found that some of the wisest people I know are not the wealthiest people. You see, in our world today, it's very easy to say, 
wealth equals wisdom. That's not true. Now, I know some very, very wise and wealthy people. But just because you're not wealthy doesn't mean you're wise. If that was the case, if that was the case, now think about it. If that was the case, then Jesus would have never made the list of wise people in the New Testament. Money is not necessarily an indicator of wisdom. Often the richest are those who make others richer. Just recently, I was reading and listening to a Francis Chan a message. And he was talking about his book called Crazy Love. And many of us have read that. It's a great read. It's, it's, it's a book compiled of messages that he's done on love. And prior to that, he and his wife were praying. And they were together. And as they were praying, she, she, says she had this request. She said she would always bring this request up. She said, I wish we could be wealthy. She said, I wish we could be wealthy so that we just could write check after check after check and help people who really needed help. She said, I wish that we could just, like we had an unending bank account, that we could just write checks to ministries and to people and, that are serving in God and, 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 and non, not for profit. She said, I just wish we had that ability just to write checks and, and help people. So they began praying, Lord, Lord, if, if, if it's in your will, make us wealthy so that we can do that. Our goal is to help people. In this journey with Jesus Christ. And he says, so he writes this book prior to praying that prayer. He said, little did they know that this book made $2 million. And you know what they did? They threw it into an account, $2 million. You know what they do with that money? They write checks to the needy. They write checks to people who need to be served. He said, it's so much fun to watch my wife light up. We have so much fun. Because we are being generous. Did it change our status? No. But did it change our opportunity to make an impact for the kingdom? Yes. Wealth is not an indicator always of wisdom. The Bible reminds us of that. Just because you can doesn't mean you should either when it comes to exploiting the poor. Now, think about this. Even in court, it gives a reference in court. Even though it's legally okay to take someone and to say, you're wrong, and I'm going to take from you, because legally I can do that. Just because it's legal to do something for, for someone doesn't mean it's a more good moral decision. And so the text is saying that just because you can take advantage of and get what you want from someone, don't dare do it to the poor. Because when you do, if you unjustly take from the poor... God will justly take from you. Proverbs nineteen seventeen reminds us too, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and he will reward them for what they have done. So picture this, every time you help the poor, whether it's just a hug, whether it's a prayer support, whether it's serving alongside of them, whether it's a financial help in the time, it says every time you help the poor, you lend to God. So just don't picture that you're helping them. Picture that God wants us to not overlook the poor, but to help them out. Jesus longs for us to stand in defense of the poor and help them out by making wise decisions. Let me just ask a question. Who's the last poor person that you helped out? Financially? Maybe serving? Maybe just being in their space and encouraging them? Just doing the one another's of life. 
Who is the last poor person? Who comes to mind right now that you know that's underprivileged or poor that you are coming alongside of? Because Proverbs says, whomever helps the poor lends to the Lord. So how do you know when to help and how much to help? You ask for wisdom. Here's some principles that I've applied to my life when it comes to helping the poor. So when a person comes and asks me, or I see a person in need, here are a couple things that come to mind for me. I think you should be prepared before you run into them. I think it's important for you, if you're married, your wife or your husband, to set aside an amount that you ask God, whatever that amount is, to provide a need to help them. So that when you see a need, you've already prepared You've already thought about it. You've already prayed about it. And so when the need surfaces, you already know that you've set aside this amount to help the poor. I think that every Christ follower should have an amount set aside to help the poor, whether it's your time, your skill, your ability, serving or financially. How many of you have something set aside to help the poor? So when that need comes, Ann and I are, look, this is what we have set aside. God, what should we do? Give us wisdom. And if God gives us the go, we go to this pocket that we have set aside. You know what we do? We help the poor. And you know what we do? We replenish. Listen, you know how that gets replenished? God replenishes it. Whoever helps the poor lends to God. I would say this. Here's another practical principle when to help. When talking with someone, ask him or her how they are taking care of the need themselves. We have some people that will just ask and ask and ask, and it's unwise to give and to give and to give. So ask this question. So how have you tried to take care of that problem? What have you done? How did you get to this spot? Because often the worst thing you can do is come alongside someone. You might be actually cripple them and enable them. So ask this question. How did you get to this place? And listen. I would also say this based upon wisdom, generally. The longer the explanation, the bigger the lie. If the story gets longer and longer and longer, hit the pause button and pull away and say, Lord, what should I do? Give me wisdom here. And if this story just continues to get longer and longer and longer and longer, from my experience, the longer the explanation, the bigger the lie. Also, another practical principle. Instead of cash purchase the need with them. They come to you and they say, I have, I have this bill. I need money for this bill. Do your homework. This is God's money. This is God's money that he's asked you to be a good steward. Don't blindly take his money without consulting and making wise steps. So pursue it. Find out what's the need. And if it's a bill, well, let me see the bill. And if you're going to help them and you feel led by God from pulling from this pocket, you write the check to the place where the bill is asking for it to be paid. I also ask God for wisdom. Just recently, last week, I see needs all the time and people come to us nonstop. And we're grateful that they come to us. But I saw a need last week where a man needed $200. 
And so I see it. I see the need. I, I read today at Grace, and I read those. Hopefully you read those too. I look at the Fight Club page and all the needs that are there. And so I'm constantly praying, Lord, bring, me, bring attention to whatever you want me and Anne to, and our family to take care of because I believe that you should do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. I can't help everyone financially, but I can pray for everyone. So I saw a need. I saw a, a need where a guy needed $200. And so it pricked my heart. And I knew that God was asking us to do something. And so I prayed. We prayed. Lord, how can we help? Lord, give us wisdom. And he gave us wisdom. Instead of giving him $200 in cash, we had this thing at home that we no longer needed. And this thing at home that we no longer needed, if we gave it to him, he could take this and sell it for more than a $200 that he needed. And so you know what we did? I called him up. I said, hey, I have this thing at home. And I saw your need, and I feel like God wants us to help you out. You've been on hard times. Would you come and get this? And hopefully you can take this and help your need. And you know what he did? He came and picked that up. How did that come? How did that process? Praying for wisdom, asking God to give me a heart for the poor and underprivileged, knowing that I can do for one what I wish I could do for everyone, seeking wisdom, going to the reservoir that we had, making a wise decision. Remember this too when you think about people who are in need. Not everyone who is poor has been foolish. Every single one of us will find ourselves at some point or have found ourselves at some point where we need help. The body of Christ is here to help one another. It's a beautiful picture. That's healthy. That's why the Bible is loaded with one another's. I also know this to be true. When you help a person in need, they will remember you the next time they have a need too. So be wise. Oh, he helped me before. Listen, just because you helped him before, how do you know whether you should continue to help him? What do you do? You pray and you ask for wisdom. Lord, they were here last week. God, they were here a month ago. God, they keep coming every Christmas. Should I help them again? I look at what we have. I ask God, I consult with my wife together, and we don't necessarily give because we've given before. We seek the wisdom of God. Listen, God can give you the answers if he controls your heart. He will control your wallet, he will control your time, and he'll control how you act. But I know to be true, help a person in need, and they will remember the next time when they have a need too. Proverbs 21, 13 says, whoever shuts their eyes to the cries of the poor will also cry out and not be answered. You see the biblical principle here? If you don't help or you exploit the poor, when you cry out, know what it says? God's not going to answer. We have responsibility to help one another. Shut your eyes. You know how people shut their eyes? Here's how it goes. I'll speak truth. Right to many of you, right today. You know how it happens? You see a need. And you're like, oh, they really need help. And I could help them. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to call the church up. Hey, I saw where this person had this need. Can you take care of this? I took care of that need. No, you didn't. You passed the buck. Maybe God brought that to your attention so that you and your family would help them out. Isn't it easy? 
trying to find a way. As soon as you see a need, it's like, oh, I got to let them know, let them know, let them know, let them know. And all you do is let others know and you don't reach and you don't dig and you don't give. And you know what you've done? You have not helped them. You've passed it on and they have helped them. Don't wash your hands of a need that God has pricked your heart and the spirit is saying, go do something. Because if you do, you are exploiting the poor. Look at verse 23. Look at verse 23. Look what he says. For the Lord will take up their case and will exact life for life. Listen, here's what he says. If you take from them because you are greedy, you are smarter or slicker, you've just added God as your opponent. And he will stand against you. This is 30 sayings of the wise. Some of you have done that in business deals. Covered in fine, small print. Like, you do something and then the person gets home and it's like, well, I didn't know that I had to do that. I didn't know that was an additional fee. Listen, if you take advantage of the poor and underprivileged because you're smarter and slicker with fine print, the God of the universe will stand opposed to you and your business. 30 sayings of the wise. Some of you have taken advantage of people because of their lack of intelligence. Listen to me. You have now have God justly taking back from you what you have unjustly taken from others. Maybe that's why you say, man, I keep making more money. I keep doing more business, but my bank account is less. Maybe, just maybe, you need to pull back and say, am I handling these financial decisions in a wise way? Never take advantage of the disadvantage. James 1.27 says that religion our Lord accepts as pure and flawless is to look after orphans and widows in distress, to look after the underprivileged and the overlooked. Wisdom says, open your eyes to the poor and overlooked in our world. Read on. Look at the next saying. Look at verse 24. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily what? What's the word? Angered. Or you may what their ways? Learn their ways and you and get yourself what? Ensnared. I would summarize that saying by saying this. You and I are a product of our environment. Let me just flesh that out. We're, we're a product of our environment. If you have a propensity in your life to an area to sin, like you know, I am prone to sin in that area, or I am prone to be tempted to sin in that area. If you know, like if I go here, and I get near that, or I get near them, or I associate with them and those people, or I associate with her, or I end up spending the night here, or if I work there, or if I think about that, Whatever you associate with and you know that you have a propensity to fall in that area. Listen, wisdom says stay away from those areas. Because you can become a product of your environment. It's like an alcoholic saying, I struggle with drinking alcohol. And then he walks into a bar to do evangelism. Listen, listen, as kindly as I can say that, that's just unwise. Because you know that you have a propensity to drink and drink too much because drunkenness is sin. And to do too much, it's sin. And so if you have a propensity of being tempted, listen, 
Go somewhere else. There are many other places where there's lost people. Now, for someone, that might be okay for them to go and evangelize because they're stronger and they don't have that propensity to to lead drinking to drunkenness. Or it's it's not only like the alcohol, it's like a glutton eating lunch at an all-you-can-eat buffet. Like it's like this afternoon saying, hey, let's go out to eat. And you know that you have a propensity to overeat. And you're the one that knows that. You know it whether or not you overeat. By the way, gluttony is a sin. And if you overeat, you're sinning. So if you find yourself, hey, let's go to Golden Corral for lunch. Listen, that's unwise. So you go somewhere where you limit your portions and you're not tempted to smell the lobster and to smell the roast beef and to see the 30 kinds of pie. Listen, wisdom says stay away from that or you will become a product of your environment. Just because you have the freedom to do something doesn't mean you should. And so he says, he who angers you has the opportunity to control you. So if you know that you see someone that's quickly, it's an angry person and you know when you spend time with them, they get you ticked off like no one else. Listen, don't associate with them. If you find yourself with that person and they just start talking politics or they start talking sports or they start talking family or they start talking something, cars, if they start talking something, education, or they start talking a, a political issue and you know that when you get with them, it's a... Listen, get away! Because anger can affect you. Don't make friends with a person who is easily angered. He who angers you has the opportunity to control you. And the greatest influencer in your life can be you. Now think about that for a second. The things we think about, the things we do, who should we associate with? Listen to me. If we don't have our lives in order, then the person that, an environment that will, that will destroy us the most is us. We spend more time with ourselves than anyone else does. You are the greatest influencer of your life. The thoughts that you think, oh, I'm not very good. I couldn't do that. You know what they do? They influence you. The, the temptations that come your way and you seize those, they influence you. The things that you eat, the choices that you make, they influence you. The things that you read, they influence you. The things that you say, they influence you. You are the greatest influencer in your life. And you could be the very detriment to your life if your heart's not controlled by God. Listen, it doesn't mean you have to walk across the street. You could be the very person, the environment of you and you alone could destroy and make horrible decisions. That's why we need accountability. That's why we need to be in God's word. You get to talk to yourself all day long. You get to believe stuff about yourself all day long. You get to spend the most time with you all day long. Make sure you do a biblical good job of influencing yourself by speaking truth when the enemy wants to tell you lies. And the only way you can do that is by soaking in the presence of God himself. My wife and I often talk about this, and this week, she said, even yesterday, we were talking, we went to a wedding yesterday, and, and, and she was saying, Jim, one of the things I've appreciated through the years is your statement of, 
It might not be sin to do that, but it's probably unwise to do that. You see, it doesn't have to be sin in order for us not to do it. And so I'll often say, you know, honey, or she'll say, you know, honey, it's not sinful if we do that, but it's probably unwise if we do that. And so I make decisions, and we make decisions all the time. Try to make decisions as a pastor. I make decisions knowing that we influence people. And we influence other people. And so, plenty of decisions. I mean, there's, there's, there's this list of things. They're not sinful if I did them, or Ann did them, or we did them. But they're unwise. Like, I don't drive with a female in my car by myself. Like, unless it's my wife or my daughter. You will see me driving, if you ever see me driving down the road, and there's a female in my car, it better be my wife or it better be my daughter or my mother. I just don't. It, it, it's not sinful if I put a, a girl in my car. It's not sinful if I put another lady in my car. But the appearance of that isn't good. It's just, it's not wise. And so I make a choice. And if I have another female in my car, I'm telling you what I do. I make sure there's someone else. And I ask very politely to that woman, would you please sit in the back of my vehicle? Out of respect for you, would you do that? You might say, Pastor Jim, that's crazy. Like, that's not sinful. It isn't sinful, but it's wise. Let me just give you another wise thing that, for me, for me, I'm speaking for Pastor Jim. I choose not to drink. I don't drink any alcohol. Never have, never will. I'm not a person that drinks alcohol. Why? Because when I read for me, for me, because drinking isn't sin. Drinking alcohol isn't sinful. It is if it leads to drunkenness. But I read the Proverbs, and let me just tell you what I read. This is why I do it. Just listen. Proverbs 31 says this. In verse 4 and 5, it's not good for king, where it says, it's not for kings, Lemuel. It's not for kings to drink wine, not for rulers to crave beer, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and deprive all the oppressed of their rights. Let beer be for those who are perishing, wine for those who are in anguish. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. So I choose, and my wife chooses, we choose not to drink alcohol. You will not see me drinking alcohol. Why? Because Proverbs says, for me, it's not wise to drink. Why? couple things. I realized that I give permission to someone that's a weaker brother than me. So I've just chosen not to drink. Let me tell you. Listen, and I leave, I live a good life without drinking. But listen, it's okay if you land at a different place that I am. It's not a sin issue for me, for me. I pray that's where God has us. And so I leave it there. I believe it's wise for me not to drink. It's not a sin issue, but for me, it's a wisdom issue. This text tells us in verse 24, do not make friends with a hot-tempered man. Because his anger will bring destruction. Either you will get burned by his anger or become just like him. Here's a principle that I live by. Because there's many things that can make us angry. Pay no attention to those who talk behind your back. It simply means that you're two steps ahead of them. Listen to me. I, it's, it's a principle that I live it. Like, I don't pause and think, wonder what they're saying. Wonder what they're saying. I bet they're saying that. I, bet I have no control over what someone says behind my back. But listen, I don't pause for them. It just means I'm two steps ahead of them. I don't let those issues anger me. If you speak when you are angry, 
you will make the best speech you will ever regret. How many times have you witnessed that? By the way, how many times have you been guilty? Speaking out of anger. However, righteous anger is a good thing. Solomon is saying that anger, sinful anger, is highly contagious. Like, you get in a room with an angry person, you just want... You ever watch it? Like, where did that come from? It came from that environment. You better nip it quickly by not associating with these kind of people. Because we often hear this phrase, but I put a little different spin on it. An eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind. I often check my friendships this way. And so, here's how I check them. You can tell more about a person by what he says about others than you can by what others say about him. Now, let me flesh that out. You can tell more about a person by what he says about others than you can by what others say about him. How many times have you had someone say, oh, she's awesome. He's awesome. They're, they're great people. They're awesome people. Like, he's an awesome boss. He's, he's, an, he's an awesome person. For me, it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I can tell more about that person face-to-face by hearing what they say about others, not by what others said about them. How many times have you just walked away and thought, wow, do you hear how they talk about other people? You can learn more about a person by what they say about others than what others say about them. But remember, high character can rub off too. I'm not telling you to run from darkness. I'm not telling you not to be a light. High character can run off, but wisdom says, make sure you're prayed up. Make sure you've heard from God. Make sure you've listened. Should I jump into this environment? Because we can influence, but make sure they don't influence you. Often this hot-tempered person is always blaming someone else and does not take responsibility for their own actions, and they like to point out the faults of others. We've all been guilty at some point of that. And we can think of people right now that won't take responsibility and they are angry. I would say it this way. Many people have ideas on how others should change. Few people have ideas on how they should change. Have you ever sat with someone? I can't believe they do that. Can you believe they're doing that? If I was doing this, this is what I would do. I would do a better job than that. This is, this is what I... Can you believe they're doing that? But they never have opinions on how they should change or how they should adapt or how they should move. But they have opinions of how someone else should. The last saying. Look at the last saying that we're going to look at today. Verse 26. Do not be one who shakes hands and pledge or puts up security for debts. If, if you lack the means to pay, your very bed will be what from under you? I would say this, too, regarding anger. Anger is a gift from God to be used in a noble way. Anger is the emotion that tells you what is most important to you, too. Now, Don't lose sight of that. I think we can have holy anger. And there's things that get me righteously angry. But anger will tell you. It's the emotion that tells us what's most important to us. Like if someone has an anger that's ungodly, they get upset. Have you ever watched watched parents at sports games? Like, I'm thinking, oh, that's not wise. Oh. And they're just red and screaming and yelling. And why are they doing that? 
Because that emotion is there. That emotion of anger reveals what's most important to us. What do you think is most important to that, that, that parent there? It's either give my son playing time or my daughter playing time because they need playing time. Or they are vicariously trying to live through their child. And when they vicariously try to live through their child or the legacy of their name and they're not getting what they want, you've got to ask the question, what's causing you to be so angry? Anger is an emotion that reveals to us what's most important to us. But there's righteous anger too. Righteous anger, like you see something taking place and injustice in your world and you get angry about it. Now that's healthy Financial decisions. I would believe this as we look at the last part of this. Frantic financial decisions can leave you penniless. If you feel pressured to co-sign a loan, if you feel pressured to buy something, listen to me. Don't make frantic decisions when you're feeling pressured. You are not responsible for everyone else's poor financial decisions. Now listen to me. To those of you who have the mercy gift, praise God for that. Seriously, praise God for that. This is where you can really go south and become unwise. You want to help everybody. You have this mercy gift that says, we got to help them, 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 we help them. Not at the cost of hurting your own family and setting you back and making unwise choice with the money that God has asked you to be a steward of. Some of you have the mercy gift. You know what you do? You can't believe that other people aren't taking care of it too. So you throw it on them and you put it out. And then you say this, I can't believe I showed him and I showed her and they did nothing about it. Listen to me, you're not putting your guilt on me. If God has called us to it, then we'll take care of it. The future planning for someone who did not do a good job and their lack of planning and their financial woes does not necessitate an emergency plan on your behalf for them. What often starts out as a good thing of helping someone can end up very badly when you begin to feel responsible for them too. If you're feeling pressured by their deadlines, hit the pause button because whatever situation they find themselves in didn't happen overnight. And one more day, 10 more hours, one more week of praying about it isn't going to make a big difference in their life. Their franticness should never lead to your foolishness. Only help if you know that what you have promised will not set you back too far and cause you not to be able to pay back. I never recommend anyone to co-sign alone. Now, now hear me on this. If you come to me and say, should I sign for my daughter? Should I sign for this friend who's in need? Should I sign for this brother should I, re- should I sign this loan? They have a need. and Should I co-sign for them? You will never get from me, yes, go and co-sign for them. Unless you have heard clearly from the Lord and he has spoken to you for you to do that. And the only way I would ever say for you to do that is if you know you can take the hit on that amount if you have a reserve already to take care of that. You got to ask this question. How did this person get into this position in the first place? And, and have they learned from it by me signing this loan just to f- feed their problems some more? Listen, signing a loan and helping someone out might be the very 
worst thing you could do for them. So how do you know? You pray, you ask God for wisdom, you ask them how they got there, you consult if you're married, your wife, you pray some more and you look at your account and say, will this destroy the way that God allows me to lead our family? And do I have enough in reserve to take this hit? Don't ever use long-term money for short-term investments. You know what I encourage people to pray often in our lives? God, if I can't have what I want, let me want what I do have. Let me be content with what I do have. Never buy if you say, we'll figure out a way, honey, to pay it back. You see this thing, and it's like, never buy frantic. Like, never walk into a store and say, oh, I've never seen that before. There it is. Like, I can't believe it's in front of me, honey. Look, we've been, look, there it is. Never feel pressured in like, oh, if we don't get it, it's on sale. It's 25% off. Never buy out of franticness. And never buy by saying this, oh, we'll figure out a way. We'll figure out a way to pay it back. A little thought that I've come to know, and I have lots of these, and we talk about them in families. You're hearing a bunch of them in this message. If your figures won't figure, then don't configure. It's a principle I live by. Like, if your figures don't figure to buy that, then don't configure. If you don't have it, don't spend it. That's the 30 sayings of the wise. Wisdom will remove the chains that ensnare you, the cobwebs of your life. Proverbs tells us in order to get wise, we must walk with the wise. My hope is this over the course of this series of messages that you will be set free and I will be set free to be the people that Jesus created us to be instead of being trapped by the snares of our foolishness. Listen, wisdom is worth more than rubies and gold and silver. Why? Because when it controls your heart, you are lined up with the heart of God and you walk in obedience. Lord, today, many of us have walked into this room. We have these cobwebs and like we're just praying, Lord, undo these cobwebs and I made a mess of my life. I pray, God, as we go through this series of messages in, in Proverbs that, that somehow that w- they'll become more than knowledge, but that they'll become wisdom, principles that we apply. And so, Lord, today my prayer is this for the precious people of Grace Community. I pray, God, that you would take and undo the things that we've made a mess of. I pray, God, that we would get to a place where we aren't ensnared, where we are free to be the people that you created us to be. And may we walk in wisdom, God. In Jesus' name, amen.